You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I thought just very briefly about having different kinds of responsibilities, and I'm sure you've maybe given, been given at one point, maybe as a child, or maybe in recent times of going to the shop to get some essential items, perhaps, and you come home, you look in the bag, and you have forgotten something. I think we've, we've all been there, haven't we? But what we, in this passage today, is this idea of responsibility, yes, but we must not ignore God's gift of grace to us and do nothing. Okay? We must not ignore God's gift of Jesus and simply do nothing about him. See, we have, yes, opportunities to serve the king until he returns, but we must serve him by trusting him first and foremost. And as we come to the penultimate parable in all of Luke's gospel, what has happened? Where are we hopping into the story? Well, if you look back just in your Bibles, please follow along. It's so helpful to do so. You'll get so much out of it. In the first 10 verses, we have that very famous story of the wee man jumping up the tree. They have a look at Jesus, Zacchaeus, and salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. He trusts in the Lord Jesus, and Zacchaeus is going to repent, and he's actually going to pay back plus more to the as a restitution of what he had done in the past. And they were told in verse 10, Jesus himself says, I come to seek and to save the lost. And this parable that happens in in Jericho, or on on the way out of Jericho perhaps, on the way to Jerusalem. From Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been on the road to Jerusalem, on the road to Jerusalem. And here finally, we're getting to the final, the home straight, if you like, here in Jericho, we're now into the home street because you'll see the next passage and the next story, verse 28, the triumphal entry, Jesus entering Jerusalem. But this is the, the last parable before Jesus looks at Jerusalem and cries over the people. He weeps over the people because they, he knows they've got it all wrong. And while some people know that Jesus' journey is coming to an end, people know that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and that is why the, the, the triumphal entry happens. They expect Jesus to march kind of like into Jerusalem and to be king, to be made king, to bring God's kingdom right there. And then as he marches in Jerusalem, he's going to go right to the top of the hill and say, I am king, bow down and submit. That's not what happens, of course. And Jesus tells this parable that people would understand that the kingdom of God is not coming immediately right now in the triumphal entry. But God's kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness when Jesus returns. So Jesus is in Jericho. He's just leaving Jericho. And this parable, why, why, is, why is he given? Well, Jesus is using like a front, front page of the news uh, to teach people. Okay, so if I was to say maybe today, um, God will never ask for your ID and his gates or any kind of certificate, he will simply welcome you in because he knows who you are because you've trusted in Jesus. You will know that I'm kind of hitting that passport or vaccine passport, right, right, whatever, front page news. You'd know what I'm talking about or know what I'm hinting at. And whenever Jesus gives this parable in Jericho, everyone knows what he's talking about. Everyone knows the story. And well, what is the story? Just give me a few moments. We all know King Herod, don't we? It's coming up to Christmas time. We'll hear a lot of King Herod. And well, 30 years before this, uh, this story, Herod is looking to divide up his little kingdom. 
that he has under Roman rule, he has it, and he wants to delegate different parts to his different sons. And one of his sons is named Archelaus, and Archelaus, Herod wants him to have Judea and Samaria, where Jesus spends a lot of his time. And while anything that Herod wanted to do with his land had to get the tick from Rome, okay, had to get Roman approval. And so Archelaus, he is the king in waiting. He has to go to Rome. He has to go to a distant country and say, I want to be king and plead his case to Caesar Augustus, who will then give him the uh, uh, approvement, and then he will return as king. Okay, so that echoes a wee bit of what's happening there. The, the king's going to go away to distant land and come back. But Archelaus, just like his daddy, is not a good man. Okay, people hated King Herod. Why? He killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem. Okay, that's 30 years ago. What's happened in the recent time? Archelaus, he's went off to Rome, has this kingdom. At one of the Passover festivals, he slaughtered 3,000 of his own people. He set out, slaughtered 3,000 of his own people. The people did not want him to be king. Did not want Archelaus to be king. They despised him. So in verse 14, when it says that his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him as king, that's what, they're, that's what Jesus is hinting at. The people know exactly what Jesus is talking about. But of course, in the story of Jesus, the king, there's no reason to despise the king. But here in Jericho, the people had a good reason to despise the king. And Archelaus, his palace, is in Jericho. This is like outside the, the gates, if you like, of the palace. Of all that's going on, people know exactly what Jesus is talking about. But let's get into the story. Now we have a bit of the context. We understand where Jesus is coming from, what the people know. Here we have a man that's going to be a king somewhere else. It's not going to be a quick return. But while we wait for Jesus to return, we have opportunities to serve him. So firstly today, we must use what God has given to us. Very simple. We must use what God has given to us. I know some of you have signed up for your £100 card. Some of you have been showing off. Maybe some of you, your, what you've used your, your free money for with friends or family. Or maybe at Christmas time we would get vouchers. And we, we feel that an obligation to use those vouchers, don't we? If someone gives you a voucher for a restaurant, you want to use it before it's out of date, don't you? And there's that sense in which we want to use what has been given to us. And here in God's word, well, for each of us, we've been given so much. God says it would be such a shame not to use it for me. The king is going to a distant country. He returns, and he gives the servants responsibilities. So we have three different servants. They all get the exact same. And the king asks the servants in verse 13 to put them to work. I thought a little bit about that already. Servants have been told to use them. And it seems to make perfect sense that if the king says go with my money and use it, you'll make me more money, that the king would want to find out what they've done with their money. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? They are servants, he's the master, and he wants to know what they've done for their mina. And sure enough, the king leaves and returns, and on his arrival back, what does he ask? He asks the servants, well, what have you got up to? How have you used your mina? He asks to see what the servants did in verse 15. And in verse 16, the first servant comes in, he gets 10 more, 1,000% yield, wonderful. Second servant has five more, 500% yield. And in showing the king what they had done, what happens to them? They are given the responsibility, but the servants, first two servants who do what they're told, use what has been given to them. They get a reward, don't they? They have a reward. The first servant has 
well done, my good servant. A, a, a form of encouragement, a, a well done, my servant. He gets 10 cities. The second servant gets five cities to look after. And the reward, the blessing, is so much greater than you would expect, isn't it? You give them a three months wages and they got them up to 30 months wages. Like, yeah, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty good. But in the grand scheme, they'll be looking after 10 cities in the back of that. It's just extravagant, isn't it? It's just mind-blowing. Why do they deserve this? Well, yes, they've been faithful. It's impressive what they've done, yes. But in the big picture, it's really quite small what they've done. But they're given a reward. God gives them incredible blessing and encouragement, doesn't he? What is the reward? The reward is not rest. You know, go up to the penthouse pool there and kick up and suntan yourself. No. What is the reward? The reward is not rest, but more service, isn't it? It gives them more to look after, more to do, to have more responsibility. So whenever we earn our reward, not ourselves, but through Jesus, and we end in heaven, what are we there for? To serve, to praise. See, we must use what God has given to us. These servants did. These two servants truly serve the king. And if we follow Jesus, we will also actually serve the king. And as a Christian, our lives are to be an investment. An investment in everything that we have because it's a gift from God. Everything that we have is a gift from God. The place where we live, our homes and surrounding people, the school place that we find ourselves, the work environment, our weekends and free time, our abilities or the education that we've received, our money, our family, our friends, our health, all those things are investments not for us as Christians, but in God's work. The king says, here you are. Use it for my glory. Every Christian has the treasure of the gospel. Paul speaks of entrust, being entrusted with the gospel. And that's what we have. We've been entrusted with the gospel. All that we have has been given to us as a stewardship. And we ought to invest wisely. We ought to serve the king in every aspect of life. We're only here for a short time. Some of us have moved in here. Some of us might move out of here again in our homes. Might be part of our friends in school or in the workplace for a little while. And then they'll disappear in the world of work or university or just people move away. We might move jobs. We might no longer be with the people who we've worked alongside for 10, 15 years. And have you been serving the people that you're with as if you're serving the king? Because we've been entrusted with the gospel. And we've been entrusted with our friends. We've been entrusted with our colleagues. We've been entrusted with everybody that we interact with, our neighbors. Not to put the meaning in our pocket and forget about it but to share Jesus, to use all that we have for his glory. Dale Ralph Davis is a commentator, and he says that Christian living does not consist in the amount of Christian busyness or in the number of Christian activities you participate in, but our faithfulness. We can be so busy doing, 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 but we need to make sure that we're actually serving the king in doing it. We have one basic task, and that is to follow Jesus. And that means to live out our faith. All that we have is God's. It's ours for some years, and then it's gone. 
And what is the purpose of all that we have? It's to produce heavenly fruit. We are to invest in the gospel. That is what we are to invest in. Invest that the yield of the good news would multiply, that would go forward, that people would know the salvation there is in Jesus. Because look at these servants. Be, be encouraged. Look at these servants. As we follow Jesus, as we serve him, how does the king respond to those who faithfully uh, serve him and do what they're told, if you like? Verses 17 and 19, clearly there's a reward. Clearly Jesus is delighted in the service that we give. In his name, Jesus, it brings him pleasure as we serve and follow him. We must use what God has given us. There's this responsibility. But there's also this reward. We serve not out of duty, but of delight. But often, isn't it the case that we're like the third servant? And that third servant, he refuses, doesn't he? There's a servant refusal here. There's no investment. He stores the meaning away. The gospel's hidden and does nothing with it. Do you adopt the third servant's approach with what we have in the gospel, but also in the possessions that we have? Do we have this third servant's approach to the things that God has given to us? Being lazy, being foolish, failing to put it to work, to use maybe for our own interest rather than the master's. Are we like the third servant? We know about Jesus. We're not willing to serve Jesus. We're standing with our hands in our pockets. We're sitting on the good news. Because the servants, as they serve, reveal actually in their service that they are following Jesus. The third servant, and we'll think about it later, is not really following the king. Sure, he's not. He's just standing his hands in his pockets. He doesn't know the king at all. We need to invest what we have in the priorities and plans of Christ's kingdom, not ours. Verse 20, the servant does nothing with it. And we reach a great difficulty then, don't we, in the passage. The third loses his mina. He's wrapped it up, puts it in a safe place. He comes back and presents it, but it's taken away from him. He doesn't receive a reward, but a rebuke. In verse 23, the, the, the master says, why didn't you put it in the bank? At least we would have got something for it then. See, there's two very different responses, isn't there, from the king? One's of a reward, the other's of rebuke. And throughout the gospel, Luke has been so helpful in explaining why Jesus is speaking certain parables. And in verse 11, it's because they thought the kingdom was coming. Third servant didn't think the kingdom was coming, really. Sure he did. Just kept it to himself. The kingdom will not fully come until Jesus returns from a distant country, heaven. But in the in-between stage, we must use what God has given to us. Using our gifts to produce a profit. A profit for his kingdom. Jesus now rules over all things, but he dispenses gifts to his church that they would use for the good of the church, but also for the glory of his name. And we must be putting our gifts to use for God. And implementing and dispensing of our gifts will yield a profit for God's kingdom. When the king returns here, he calls on the account, and he will call on the account of what we've done, even when we're following Jesus with our time and our talents and our treasures. And well, are we using all that we have for the master, for Jesus? Are we using what God has given to us for his glory or just certain aspects of our life? Are we investing in the gospel as individuals, 
Are we investing in the good news in our service, being faithful to that end? Are we doing it as a church? Are we being faithful to the gospel? Whatever small gift that you think that you might have, it still can be put to good use. In the Christian life, we never stand still with our hands in our pockets, but we use what we have been given to the glory of his name that others might see and trust Jesus. We must use what God has given to us. And then secondly, we must accept Jesus as king. We must accept Jesus as king. So here, Jesus is delivering this parable in Jericho. No one likes Rome, but no one likes the king Archelaus either. They don't want them to be king, but there's a sense where they have to swallow it and just accept him as king. Well, that's not what we are supposed to just swallow and get on with it. We are truly to have to and must accept Jesus as king. And when we accept Jesus as king, that means in serving the king, it will bring us a reward. Okay, We need to be serving the king. We must be accepting Jesus as king. So these three servants, the first here rewarded, the third does not serve the king and is punished. And we need to make sure that we are serving the king in the right way. What do I mean? We need to be trusting in Jesus. We need to be trusting in him. We need to accept him as king. See, this third servant, he has the name of a servant. He probably looks like a servant. He's hanging about all the other servants. He's associated with the community of servants. And, well, who is the third servant? Well, the third servant actually really isn't a servant. Sure, he's not. He never really trusts the master. And he reveals himself not to be a servant because he doesn't trust the king. And this can happen in the church. People appear to be members of the church, but the reality is that they have never trusted in Jesus. See, the third servant acts as a strong warning for us, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Connection to the church is not what makes us servants. It's being connected to Jesus. It's trusting in him, accepting him as king, a relationship which trusts in him. Then our service is changed because our hearts do embrace service out of a, a thankfulness for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Third servant here is in an awful place. And with a third man and the third servants here today as well in church, and they were sitting in the comfort too, someone who maybe thinks that God is hard on them, questioning all the, the sufferings maybe that they faced in their life, saying, God, that you're a hard man, God. You're an awful man. Why would I trust you? Or thanks for that. I'll keep that in my pocket and not do anything about it. Third person's here today, plotting, wondering maybe how you can serve God, pretending, no, there's nothing I can do. Not trusting like the third. You really don't know the master. Because the third servant gets the the master's character all wrong. So look, look at uh, verse, is it verse 21? What does the, the third servant say? I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. Is a man hard if he's given two servants 15 cities between them? That doesn't sound like a hard man. That sounds like a really generous one. This third servant doesn't know the, the master at all. A, a hard master would have worked them into the ground and taken all the prophets off them and sent them away to do some more. This isn't a hard man. Jesus is a, a good and gracious master, not a hard one. 
What a tragedy it would be if we were like the third servant and don't really know the master. Hang about him, but don't know him. The third servant did no work, associated with the master, hung about in the right places. The servant maybe looked like the disciple, but in the reality they weren't. There was no meaningful relationship. And what happens is there's judgment on that man. Verse 22 and 23, he gets it taken away. He gets his mina ripped away from him. Because surely, if the third servant thought that the master was hard, you know, if you have a hard boss, wouldn't you do something about it? If you knew he didn't do something, you'd do something about it. If you knew you had something to do, and the master was hard on you, if you didn't do it, surely you would do it, wouldn't you? Here, the master, this servant doesn't know the master at all. We need to trust in God's goodness. The people who do not trust in God have no relationship with God, and they will receive nothing from him. We must accept Jesus as king, but as we do so, there's also going to be people who oppose the king. People will oppose the king. So in verse 14, we think of the story of what's going on in the context. People have been sent to Rome and say, we don't want King Archelaus as king. And what Jesus is saying, I'm king. Don't be surprised when people oppose me. People will stand against Jesus and against his kingship. And in this parable, which reflects Christ, there's no good reason to be against the king in the parable. Sure, there's not. And there's no good reason to be against Jesus or in opposition to him. And it should not surprise us when people stand against Jesus, because Jesus says it will happen, but it also shouldn't surprise us whenever people stand against his servants as well. Do not oppose Jesus. Accept him as king. We must accept Jesus as king because if not, well, the king's enemies will be judged. We are all accountable to Jesus one way or another. The servant who does nothing reveals he's not a servant at all and God's enemies will be judged. Verse 27 especially is hard to read, isn't it? This wonderful good king that we've had this picture is so gracious and generous. In 15 cities says this. Those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here, kill them in front of me. They've, it's frightening, isn't it? They've set themselves against Jesus. And Jesus says, slay them. Punish them. They are judged and excluded from blessing. They are judged and excluded from grace. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says this, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people to be marveled at all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. As Paul's saying, Whenever Jesus comes back, those who have rejected Jesus, you're going to be shut off. You're going to be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord. And that's what's happening in this story, isn't it? The people that are against the master in the story are shut off, excluded from blessing. Those who oppose Jesus' kingship will be met with judgment. That is why you must accept Jesus as king. Come to Jesus today if you think he's a hard man. He's not a hard man. He'll accept you with grace and love. If you think that following Jesus is burdensome and there's a load so heavy for you to bear, 
Remember, it's not about Christian busyness, but faithfulness. God is not a hard man. He will not reject us when we come to him through Jesus. We must accept him as king. Jesus' kingdom will come. Sinclair Ferguson says our lives should be determined by two dates. Not our birth and our death, but Christ's ascension and his return. Those are the two dates we live in. That is why we must serve. That's why we must take the opportunity to serve the king before he returns. But when we do accept Jesus as king, Christians who trust in Jesus, who follow him, who serve him to the end, as we often sing, who've been brought into God's household all purely by his grace, who've been made not this dark, not in the servants of darkness, but have become servants of light. Not, nothing to do with us, but all of Christ. God has promised to richly reward us. We do a little with Amina. But God gives us an eternal city. A heavenly city where we can praise him. And Jesus repeatedly, over and over and over in Scripture, rewards those who trust in him. And he will do it when he returns. We must be trusting in Jesus. Yes, there's opportunities for faithful service. But we must be trusting in Jesus. He is our king. And we must accept him as king. Don't reject it. Don't oppose Jesus. You've read verse 27. That's the picture. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.